your eyes to the skies. It's time for Spaced Out on 95PFM, thanks to the Stardome Observatory and Planetarium. Kia ora, Josh, are you there? Kia ora, how's it going? It's good, mate. Now, Josh from the Stardome, uh, just to let everyone that hasn't been listening the last couple of weeks, Stardome currently undergoing a couple of renovations to make it the greatest stardome in the Southern Hemisphere, correct? Yes, yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, what on earth are you doing? Are you just um, waiting for it to open and uh, looking up space news for us to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much, just you know, reading space news. Um, but, yeah, no, we, we, I still got lots of work. I do the social medias. But um, uh, yes. we do outreach, so, you know, going out to schools, still, you know, delivering education. Nice. Um, and it's just also, yeah, all of that planning of what we're going to be doing when we do reopen um, just in time for Matariki. So, yeah, there's still lots of money to be done. Excellent. Now, uh, the first story we're going to be chatting about this afternoon is about a volcanic moon. Mm, how, yeah. I mean, how do you know, how can they tell that a certain moon is the most volcanic, uh, I don't know, planet or moon in our solar system? Yeah, it's, it's what we consider, you know, kind of the most volcanically active body or place in the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially because since we've actually, you know, first discovered or, been, you know, sent spacecraft to that moon in the 70s, um, it's basically been erupting constantly. Every single time we've had a spacecraft, um, a telescope observe this place, we found that it's constantly erupting with these, you know, massive, massive um, kind of planetary-sized volcanoes. Um, yes. And, yeah, we just got this new photo from the Juno spacecraft, which, yeah, it's showing that same thing. You can see these really cool colours on the surface. Um, it looks I like a death kind star. Of like, it looks like an orangey <laughs> death star. Yeah, yeah very, like, colourful <laughs> pride <laughs> death star. Um, I always say it's kind of like Rotorua, how you go down to, like, the guys, and there's, like, colourful, you know, yellow and red, like, mud poles and stuff. Yes. Um, it's kind of like that. You've got all of these really, you know, kind of bright volcanic deposits of minerals on the surface. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's also kind of the most colourful place in the solar system. Now, is it lava as we know it? Or is it a different type um, of lava on this moon? You know, it is It is lava. I mean, we've actually got photos of lakes of lava on Io, which is, you know, fascinating in itself. Um, but one thing we do find is the, the eruptions are quite different than, you know, as they would be on Earth. Yes. And one of the reasons is because this moon doesn't have an atmosphere. Um, so when, you know, ash is spewed out from a volcano on Earth, usually it's, you know, carried by the winds, moved across the atmosphere, because Io doesn't have that. The ash basically just goes super, super high into mm-hmm. the sky. Yes. We're talking like two, three hundred kilometers high. Um, so you can imagine if that was on Earth, you'd be talking about a volcano that would like reach the International Space Station. Wow. Essentially. So it's really impressive and it's really cool to see these photos. You've kind of like brought me to my next question. We were just talking about this yesterday. Uh, the ISS. Do mm. they listen to BFM on the ISS? <laughs> Look, the next time I call them, I'll ask and I'll um, make sure they've got your, your radio number. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, what, what else do we need to know about this moon? What does what the volcano? Do the volcanoes mean there could be water on there potentially, or some minerals that could make it habitable? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's one of those interesting places. I mean, it's not um, as I guess scientifically interesting as places like Europa, which we know does have water. Mm-hmm. Um, Io isn't necessarily high on astronomers' list of places we want to learn more about, but it's just a really fascinating world per se, and it's, you know, it's really awesome to see these 
biologically active things happening on another world. Um, and I think the cool thing about you know this flyby, this recent photo is not very high resolution at all. It's quite small still, mm-hmm. um, but we're actually getting a really really close flyby at the end of the year. So we're actually going to see some really high resolution photos, um, and we're talking resolution of there. You could probably actually make out these lakes of lava and these you know active volcanoes. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a teaser of what's to come, and yeah, it's um, also a bit of a testament to. You know, having mission extensions. Um, this is one of those missions that did get that extension we talked about last year. Um, and, you know, that extra funding means that we can actually go to these places without, you know, building new spacecraft. With with the uh, the, the upcoming close flyby, what mm. sort of science would come out of that? Well, basically, Ed, we're going to learn more about why it's so volcanically active. Yes. Um, I mean, we know quite a bit about, you know, why it has so many volcanoes. One of the reasons is what we call, like, tidal heating. But essentially, this moon Io, it's so close to Jupiter, and Jupiter is massive, that the gravity of Jupiter is literally kind of squeezing the moon, and that's causing it to erupt with these volcanoes. Uh, okay. You know, the process of that is very different than on Earth, whereas we yes. have, you know, plate tectonics. Yeah. Um, Io doesn't have that, so it's a completely different process that we're not familiar with. So, ah, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really just about that understanding of things that we don't see on Earth. Oh, wow. I mean, is Jupiter itself hot? No, Jupiter's pretty cold. Uh, mm. The surface is cold, but if you go into Jupiter, like through the clouds, it gets hotter. Yes. Um, but yeah, the surface is like really cold. You wouldn't want to go there. Okay. So these volcanoes on um, Juno would be hot volcanoes or cold volcanoes? Cold vo- vo- they're hot, volcano. they're very hot, yeah. So it's, um, that would be volcano. the hottest place out in that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. Uh, now, Japan, you sent through a video, which we watched, of Japan's new H3 rocket failing on its maiden launch. Um, mm. Tell us about this particular rocket. What was the purpose of it? And is it a bit of a setback to have it fail? Yeah, so this is this is a pretty big setback for Japan, unfortunately. This new rocket, this is the maiden flight. Um, this is kind of was supposed to be the workhorse of Japan's um, rockets. So this is meant to be the new rocket that they're going to be using for, you know, majority of their launches. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been developing it for years, and it failed on its first flight, which is, you know, really unfortunate. And um, I was watching the whole thing, and you don't really notice anything awry, you know, seeing the rocket up, it's pretty cool. Um, but I did notice that you can actually see in the data, so as the rocket was going up, um, when it was too far away to be seen by cameras, you were actually watching the altitude, and I've, I've noticed that it was dropping. Yes. So, yeah, whatever's happened, it's basically couldn't get to orbit. It started to fall. Um, it probably yep. had something to do with, like, an engine ignition. Um, and because of that, Japan, they basically sent the self-destruct command to the rocket. So, okay. yeah, if a rocket fails, we basically blow them up. We don't yep. just want them to fall and, you know, okay. smash into something. Is that so um, your neighbour doesn't get their hands on your technology or <laughs> is it like a safety thing to blow it up in there? Yeah, it, it's more of a safety thing because, you know, the thing with a rocket, even if it does fail and it falls to the ground, mm. you know, there's still rocket fuel in a rocket. They are extremely yep. explosive. So, you know, if we, instead of, you know, having a rocket fall to somewhere where we don't know where it's going to be and then explode, um, we have these flight termination systems. So we basically just tell them to explode in the air. Um, so it's much safer to have a million small pieces falling yeah. to the ground rather than one giant explosion caused by a rocket. Okay. Now, this wasn't a reusable rocket, was it? No, this is what you call an expendable rocket. So yep. it doesn't land. It's not like the SpaceX rockets. Um, but, yeah, I think it's interesting for me just on kind of a 
rocketry level that there is still obviously you know these new rockets are being developed which are expendable yeah whereas i think what a lot of companies need to be doing is actually looking at reusability um you know because spacex and nasa and what they've done is really just change that industry and i think in 10 15 years expendable rockets are probably going to be quite redundant so yes yeah it's interesting to still see these expendable rockets new ones being made now i had an advance advanced land observing satellite on board what yeah. was this particular satellite going to be doing? Just looking at land? Yeah, I think this was part of their uh, like land weather research. Okay. Like Japan's got quite a few satellites. Um, but that's actually kind of another thing was interesting, was that they actually decided to put a real satellite on the first launch of a rocket. Because yeah. um, what you usually do is you have what you call like a, a dummy payload, basically. So you yeah. just send like a brick, essentially, to space. You just send something up to see if it can work, and then you start putting on payloads, whereas, you know, Japan obviously chose to put on a satellite. So yes. in this case, that means that that satellite was also destroyed. Blown up. Um, and, you know, I'm oh. sure that cost millions of dollars. So. Damn it. Damn it. What a pain in the neck. Yeah, super, super annoying. But, yeah, it's just it's just a reminder that, you know, spaceflight is still really hard to do. Yes, of course. You'd, I, you know, you kind of imagine the Japanese being um, wizards with their tech and that sort of thing. So... I guess they probably sort of did back themselves, obviously. Um, I mean, that, I think that that rocket was uh, it was developed by Mitsubishi, so mm. yeah. All right, hey um, Josh from the Stardome, is there anything else we need to know about? Um, just keep up to date with the Stardome at the Stardome dot org dot nz. Yeah, just um, yeah, keep up with our socials. We're still very active. Okay, nice one, mate. Um, I also kind of want to tie this in with some movie tickets that we've got to give away on the show this evening. We've got a double pass to go and see 65, which I guarantee you're pretty keen to go and see. Adam Driver crash lands a spaceship on Earth 65 million years ago. Well, were you offering me tickets? Yeah, yeah, I can send you some, actually. Oh, no, I'm not, not going to say no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, have you um, checked out the trailer or anything like that? I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks good. It looks good. It does. It looks very great. Mm. Uh, if anyone out there is keen on these tickets, send us a, uh, send us a text right now with your name and your B card, and I can hook you up. And Josh, I can send you some in the post too, mate. <laughs> Maybe hook me up too. Beautiful. All right. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Josh. All right. See you later. Bye. Control, we are docked. That was spaced out on 95 BFM, thanks to the Stardome Observatory and Planetarium.